Hello and welcome to episode number 70 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Mr. Dave Whiskers. Hi, Dave. Hi. Is it really episode 70? This is episode 70. Senile. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here for an even number. Yeah, that's, it's a nice one to have like a 10 of some description. Yeah, yeah. it feels good. So, Mr. Whiskers, yeah, yeah. please tell me what you like to be known for. Oh, man. I There's so many things. I, I do things. Um, I've, I'd want to be known for making things. That's, that's kind of my deal. I like to make stuff. What does making stuff entail for you? What stuff do you make? I make, uh, I make software. Well, I shouldn't say I, I make software. Brent and other people make software. I draw pictures of software um, and, and sort of describe how those pictures should move around. And then uh, it's, it's kind of Brent Simmons' job to make that all happen. Uh, I, I make music. I make a podcast. Sometimes I, I, I just draw pictures for fun. Sometimes I paint things, although I haven't done that in a while. Um, yeah, just kind of anything creative where I can be putting a new thing into the world in one form or another. That's, that's sort of what I like to do. Putting things into the world. It used to be, I think in the old days, whatever that means, that this sort of thing, it was just sort of like, if you were an artist, that's what you did. You weren't locked into, you were just a painter. You were just a sculptor. You were, cause you look at like in, in the Renaissance, like Leonardo da Vinci, that guy, he made all kinds of stuff. He invented stuff. He was just all about if he could. If he wanted to, to to put knowledge in his head and transfer that into stuff that he made and put back out into the world. And I kind of uh, that's that's kind of what I enjoy doing. Can't go wrong there. So, not to compare myself to Leonardo da Vinci, that would, that would just just to give you a, a point of, of reference for the the types of stuff. The comparison is implied. <laughs> not not to be that guy. <laughs> so you mentioned that that you draw stuff in and you design and and I believe you know you, you like with software and stuff like that. So um how did how did you get there? What did you study at school? You know I didn't. That's you, the okay. that's the crazy thing. I uh this is I used to keep this a secret because I was I don't know ashamed of it or I was concerned about something but uh yeah I Wait, where, where exactly are you from? Because I'm going to start using words, and I know that uh, when there's an ocean between us, sometimes those words don't translate properly. So I am from England, but I will okay. understand that when you say college, that means university. <laughs> well, I was going to say elementary school, which I think I believe you call primary school. Oh, how old were you? I was, um, well, in elementary school, I was, I was, I, I have no idea. I was like ages one through, er, let's let's call it twelve. Yeah, that's thirteen. That's primary school. Okay. Yeah. So in, in primary school, or as we say, elementary school, I did pretty well in school. And then, um, middle school, which would be grades like seven through, uh, seven and eight, I guess, uh, I started doing less well. And by high school, which I have no idea what you call that. Yeah. See, we have, uh, instead of middle and high, we just have secondary. It's just one secondary school. Secondary so, school. uh, high school for me, secondary school for you, uh, somewhere in there, right around age 16. Um, it became increasingly apparent to me that I was just not a good student and I was never going to be a good student. And it wasn't because I was dumb. I don't, I don't think I'm dumb. And I had plenty of adults telling me I wasn't dumb, but I, I just, I was a terrible student. I think it was a lot of social stuff and, uh, you know, awkward teenager things. I was, I was um, dramatically overweight and super socially awkward. And I, that time of my life was just hell. So I wasn't good in school. And I decided, you know, this isn't for me. And I just dropped out. 
I never did the college or university thing. And I just kind of uh, went and, you know, the, the real thing, my saving grace was that I was enough of a nerd that I really liked playing with computers. And over the years, that turned into something that I got good at. And then I could turn that into a job and learn more stuff. And uh, eventually, here I am. So were you always an artist? Like, was, was that something that you did? Did you paint pictures? Did you draw as a kid? Oh, yeah. I love uh, if, if I could have a, a pen or a pencil in my, my hand and, and paper and, and be making stuff. And it was weird because I didn't enjoy the process of drawing as much as I, I, I so wanted to have a thing that looked professional. And it's, it's, it's a weird, I was so focused on the outcome. Like my goal was to have something that looked as shiny as the page in, you know, a, a high-end comic book and trying to figure out how they got the clean lines and trying to figure out how they, how they got the colors to be even. That was sort of what I obsessed on. Not, not getting my shapes right, not being um, a good artist, but being good at like the production side of it. I didn't see it in those terms at the time. I thought it was all the same thing. But looking back, yeah, it was kind of a weird the things that attracted me weren't necessarily the things that I thought would attract me. So without um, college education, how did you come to be a designer? Yeah, I, w- I wish I knew. I think I, I made one of those Twilight Zone style deals with the devil where the deal is I sold my soul so that I could, I could do what I do, but the, the catch is that I don't know that I did. Like I don't remember making that deal. Right. I think, I think that was an episode of the Twilight Zone. Some, some days I feel like that, and some days I wish that in my soul selling I had been a little bit more ambitious. But it's, um, you know, I, I was doing the computer thing for a long time. I had friends who were doing computer things, and uh, I, I remember you know, six or seven years ago, I was like anybody else. I was, you know, I had a day job and in my free time I I had Net Newswire open and I was reading Daring Fireball and I was like reading about guys like uh, Nevin Mergen and Craig Hockenberry and to me that was like reading a people magazine. Yeah. These were these were the heroes. These were the people who I would never like if if I could just meet these people someday that would be an amazing thing for me. And I sort of dreamed about, well, I don't do the sorts of things they do, so maybe if I did, but I don't know how to do that. And somewhere along the way, I, I by accident, met uh, Brent Simmons at a, at a conference. I wasn't even attending the conference. We just both happened to be in town at the same time. He was there for a conference. I was there for business. And a mutual friend of ours, a guy named Alex King, sent an email to both of us and saying, hey, you're both in San Jose. You should get together and have a drink. And so we did. And uh, Brent and I, I, I think, immediately became friends. And he introduced me to this whole world of iOS developers. And they all seemed so happy. <laughs> in a way, in a way that I really wanted to be with my work, they actually were, and it it struck me, and it it, it struck me pretty, pretty like like on a primal level of I need to do this, like I need to viscerally like I'm not happy where I am. I need to be out in this other world. I need to be uh, uh, like touching the things that these people touch. I need to be living the lives that they live. And um, I make that sound more dramatic maybe than it is, but uh, I had I made it a point to get to know them better because they're just good people and learn about what they do and the world they occupied. And I remember um, one of the guys I met that first night I was out with Brent, a guy named Dan Burkaw. I was working on a little side project, like a web thing with a friend of mine. And I had asked him because he was, you know, an, an iPhone app developer. This is before, I think, before they even called it iOS. He was an iPhone app developer, and I asked him, "Well, you know, what would it what would it take to get an app made for this thing we're doing?" And his response was, "You know, we can't even start this conversation for under thirty grand." And I just kind of sat back and I'm like, "Whoa, 
So not only are these guys, well, no wonder they're happy. Like these guys are, are pretty pleased with the work they're doing and they are apparently doing okay financially. And so it, it really hit me that I was just in the wrong business. And I, I, we, I went back and the friend that I was working on the thing with, a guy named Jay Graves, we, I sat down and I said, well, we have to have an iPhone app and it's too expensive to get somebody else to do it. We have to do this ourselves. And we started down the path of making our own iPhone app. And I learned pretty quickly that I'm not a good programmer, which I had known, but that like really reinforced to me. I had known that I wouldn't be, or I thought that I wouldn't be a good programmer, but I'd never really tried. So when I started trying writing code for, for the iPhone, I was really bad at it. Like I was, you know, serviceable. I could write code that worked if I had a week. Um, but I was better off thinking about how things should work. And so I started focusing more on that and I got I, I had a little bit of Photoshop experience from all the times that I stole copies of it when I was in um, high school and, and beyond so I, I started drawing the, the pictures and trying to make it look the way that we thought it should look somewhere in there uh, was WWDC 2009 and Brent had introduced me to uh, a guy named Brad Ellis who had just that night won uh, with his company Rogue Sheep um, for which he was the designer, he had won an Apple Design Award for postage. And you know, he, he had just won this award and he was super excited. And we, we meet, he was in probably the best mood of his life and we instantly became friends. And I was talking about this thing I was working on, which crazy enough he had heard of. Uh, and he, he offered to, to lend a hand or lend some advice if I needed any. And so we, we kind of stayed in touch via email and he would send me uh, PSDs of things he was working on. He would send me videos of him doing stuff in Photoshop and he kind of became my, my mentor. And then the rest is history. Uh, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, that kind of makes it sound as if from that point forward I could just do this. But it was, it was really uh, uh, Brad through Brent kind of brought me into all of this. And I started spending more time around people who were making the kinds of things that I wanted to make and who cared about the sorts of things that I cared about. And uh, over time, you just get, you know, day by day, a little bit better, a little bit better. And, and I'd like to think that I'm okay at it now. But there's, um, I still, I look around and there's, I look at guys like Brad and I look at guys like, like Nevin. And I'm surrounded by people who uh, are constantly pushing me to be a little bit better. So it's pretty much just hard work then, right? That, that could uh, be here. You know, it's, it's hard work. It's, you know, uh, knowing the right people to a certain degree. And I don't think that that sounds way harder than it is. In our industry, you buy a ticket to a conference, you show up, you buy somebody a drink, and you're in. It's not, it's not like, you know, trying to break into TV or trying to get a record contract or something where it's, it's a constant fight. It's, we're, we're all pretty friendly people. And if mm-hmm. you, you show up and you say hi, it's, it's pretty easy to, uh, to suddenly know the right people. And it's cool to watch over the years how more and more people have done that and how the community has grown and how people have, have formed these new connections. So over the last few years where you've been uh, doing design for, for apps and stuff, what's some of the favorite, your favorite stuff that you've worked on? Or the things that you're uh, most proud of? Vesper, easily Vesper. Yeah, and we'll talk about Vesper in a minute, actually. So that's of, of everything that you've done, that is your, like, that's your baby. Yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, I was working for services companies for a number of years. I, I say that as if I've been in this industry forever. Uh, but I, I worked for for Double Encore and I worked for Black Pixel, and both of those were were client services companies. So it was always somebody else's baby. Yeah. I would come in for a couple of weeks, like two to six weeks, depending on the gig, and I would I'd have my input, but nobody had to listen. Yeah, you could have an idea that you were a hundred percent sure was the right thing to do, but if the yeah. client doesn't like it. Well, that's just tough. Yeah, and I, I can't name the company, but uh, we were uh, 
I, I won't even I won't even say who it was I was working for at the time. But there was a project, and I they they had an iPhone app, and they were talking about maybe doing an iPad app, and it was. Um, I sat down for a, a solid like two days working with them and, and talking through who their customers were and, and learning everything I could about their business. And we wound up putting together this pitch for here's what we think the iPad experience should be. And here's why we think this is different from the iPhone and, and like really laying out this is for this group of people, this is for this group of people, and here are the differences in features, and here are some really amazing things we can do. I, I guess I can say this. It was a, it was a jewelry company. And the, the, the magic of it was, at least according to like demographic studies on their side, and they had all sorts of data. It was really, really cool. But we, we had thought of it as the, the iPhone experience versus the iPad experience and which person in the relationship was more likely to use which device. And we had come up with a way to make it to where the guy, when he's ready to propose and he would buy an engagement ring, could do, could do it in such a way that if she had already been browsing in her version of the app, he might know a little bit just by like exchanging contact information. So the, the, the bottom line was we had, we'd come up with a way to kind of make it magically he just knew what she wanted, <laughs> which felt like a really cool problem to have solved. And uh, we, we pitched this whole thing to them and they, they said, that sounds great, but we don't have the budget for it. And that, I think was was kind of a crushing blow for me. It was hard to to take anything seriously after that because no matter how good the idea was, somebody else could say no. Because that wasn't just a design. That was an idea. That was a concept. Which right. you, you marry yourself a little more to, I think. Yeah, that and we, we had thought that we had solved a real problem. And I, I can't take credit. I was working with a design team and a, a team of amazing people. But we, we thought that we had come up with a way to solve a problem that, that guys actually have when they're trying to propose to their girlfriend and we were really excited about it. And we were excited about what this could do for, for the client and what it would do for their customers. And you know, they, they loved it. They just, hey, you don't have the budget for it. And so from that point forward, I kind of had this idea in my head of, I need to make my own stuff. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where this will happen, but I, I need to, to kind of save that creative energy for when I know it'll be appreciated. So working in the types of uh, environments that you worked in, um, I assume that, that at times you, you were probably working on stuff that you weren't particularly proud of as such. Oh, yeah. How did, well, how did mean, you deal with that? Proud of, that's... Um, it it kind of depends on how you look at that. If if the thing that you're proud of is the energy you you bring to the table and, and working within constraints, um, even then, I'd, I'd love to say that even then I've been proud of my work, but the truth is sometimes you're just sort of creatively drained and you're working with uh, maybe a group of people who aren't as excited about the thing as you, you'd want them to be. And there, there are definitely times when you come away from a day of work thinking, I'm really excited to go drink now. <laughs> yep. I know the feeling. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. <laughs> but you, I, I would say that even when I've done... Um, I've done. I've worked on stuff that I wouldn't happily attach my name to. I've I've been proud of at least making efforts. I've been proud of my contributions, whether they were accepted or not. Not you all find the time, the thing, but like you find the thing in that project that you can be proud of, whether it's right. the way that, whether it's the, the the way that the end product comes out because of the way it was asked or, or what you were asked to do. At least you find your thing that you're proud of. Right. There's always going to be things around a project. What, even if you're just working on your own, you've got your own limitations. You've got your own budgetary limitations. Sure. 
your own functional limitations. You, I shouldn't say you, me, I, I'll own it. I at least try to look at it as within, within the, the confines of what I had to work with. How, how well did I do? Could I have done better? So not to try to rate myself against the, the entire world because that's just not fair to anybody. My point being that you don't have to change the world with everything you touch. It's okay to be proud of the, the stupid thing that you've done that a million other people have also done, but it was a, another step for you. Sure. Look at this. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm trying to inspire you right now is what I'm doing. I'm so inspired. <laughs> Motivational speaker. I'm so inspired that I feel like we should take a break so I can compose myself. Mm. And we should thank one of our fine sponsors. And one of our sponsors this week are the beautiful people over at Squarespace. I love those people. We do. Beautiful people and beautiful designers. Their templates are amazing. Look at this. You're leading me right in, Dave. This is amazing. Yeah. Do you do this? <laughs> it's, like, it's like I've done Squarespace sponsors before. <laughs> no. So Squarespace, not only are they the only one platform to make it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio, they do have... But you said your your own professional, not your unprofessional, right? Yeah, own. Your own professional. Or you could okay. make an unprofessional website. You, you have we, done we, that. We, we did that too with Squarespace. Squarespace, they have beautiful templates. They have beautiful, they're fantastically designed by real professional designers. And you can, when you, you don't just have to enable one and leave it. You can tweak it yourself. So if you want to add a funky font, well, they have the options to do that. And maybe you want to tweak it and uh, you want to change some of the colors, maybe some of the widths, maybe a little bit of the layout stuff. A lot of it's drag and drop. So you can lay out your pages exactly as you like in their WYSIWYG page building stuff. Or you could just enable it and just let it go because Squarespace sites look fantastic. You don't go to a Squarespace website and think, oh, this is one of those Squarespace websites because they just look like great websites. They really do. Even their back end looks amazing. I was setting up, a, I, I had to create a new Squarespace account just last night because I'm, I'm setting it up for a, a new thing I'm working on. And going through the process, I'd never done the template selection before. On the unprofessional site, uh, Lex had set that up. So I'd never gone through that part. And I'm going through and I'm picking out the template and you click the button to do the live preview and it doesn't take you to another site. It like expands the, the little window into the entire browser. It was amazing. But hey, Dave, what if it's the yeah. middle of the night and you need some help? They, they have people for that. <laughs> they have over 70 dedicated employees who work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In case you, Which is crazy because questions. I don't know why. I've, I look at this thing. I can't imagine who would need help with this. That's a good point. But just in case. They're there just in case, like a safety net. So we say they have 70, but really I bet like 68 of them are sitting around doing nothing. Because it's so awesome. In fact, if you use Squarespace, you should contact their support people just so they have something to do. Just say Hi. Yeah, tell them how great it is. <laughs> you believe you it or not, it. you get all of these amazing features at just for starting for a plan starting at just eight dollars a month, and they also include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. They have their Squarespace commerce platform, so if you want to sell some stuff, well, you can integrate that into any existing Squarespace site or a new Squarespace site that you set up, and you can sell physical or digital goods. You have order management systems and everything, all in just one interface. Now, I want you to go and try this out for yourself. You can sign up for a free trial by going to squarespace.com and you can start building your website today. No credit card required to do that. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure that you use the offer code TALLYHO11. That's T-A-L-L-Y-H-O-11. That will get you 10% off your first order and show your support for Command Space. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting the show and for giving you everything that you need to create an exceptional website. And thank you to Dave Whiskers for helping. 
You know, I one more comment on this. The the uh, the no credit card required thing. Another thing that I didn't know until last night. Not only does it not require a credit card when you sign up for the the free trial, it doesn't even ask. Yeah, yeah. It, it does. That's like, a it good just point. it just starts working, and later on they'll bug you about that. I say no credit card required, but usually you hear that it's like you don't need to, but we're going to make it like the tiny tiny button in the right hand corner which you need to right. press. But they don't even ask. You just put an email address in, you set up a username and a password, and you've got a free trial. Yeah, I was already, I had like, uh, you know, my, my promo code and my credit card sitting right here, and I'm all ready to go, and I go through the whole process, and the next thing you know, I'm setting up the site, and I'm like, oh, I guess I'll do that later. Amazing. So, That's okay. confidence right there. That's how they know they're good. They're confident in the product, so they don't need to trick you. You know how you know it's good because they can be that confident and still they spend a ridiculous amount of money spend, uh, uh, sponsoring podcasts every week. It's because they're amazing. <laughs> and we because clearly they're doing something right. And Dave, we need them. <laughs> <laughs> so Vesper. Vesper, yes. How did, I, I like this story. I've heard this story before, but it's, it's like one of those, um, it's part of like folklore. How did Vesper, <laughs> how did the project come to you? And well, it, it goes back. I remember I was saying years ago, I, I remember I'd, I'd stay up late at night reading Net Newswire and, and looking through the, the, the articles of Daring Fireball. And those guys were uh, Brent and, and John, were uh, Brent Simmons, John Gruber were kind of you know, my heroes. Like I think to a lot of people they are. And over the years, you, you meet these people and, and you become friends with them. And then next thing I know, if I could pick any two people in the world that I'd want to start a company with, it would have been the two of them. And to, to have now been able to do that, it, it, it's, you know... Not, not to be all cliche, but there's like an element of fairy tale stuff going on there where it's like, wow, I get to work with the, the, the two uh, smartest, most experienced, most whatever people that I could possibly hope to work with on this particular thing. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 a neat, it's, it's neat to be able to approach work as if it's play. But the, the story of, of like the, the inception of Vesper itself was that... Um, I I was uh, what's 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 the the polite word for unemployed? Um, uh, well, let's just go with unemployed. Let's go so with I was, uh, financially. No, not financially. Uh, employment <laughs> challenged, maybe. I was I was between contracts. Let's that, say I was between good. between yeah. projects. Um, last last summer, so summer of 2012, and living in Amsterdam. And I was kind of looking for stuff to do, and it wasn't super pressing, but I kind of knew that in the near future I needed to start thinking about what I was going to do. And I didn't want to start taking contract work because I didn't, I didn't think that's what I wanted to end up doing. I was just kind of thinking. And a uh, uh, friend, Justin Williams, had, had also recently been, um, well, his, his story is kind of uh, more well-known where he had uh, he'd been laid off from Hipstamatic and that, that sort of exploded in a beautiful fashion. He, he came to me one day and he's like, well, I've got this, this thing that, that Gruber had pitched to me, this idea that he had. Not, it was just like a, here's a free idea thing. And would you want to work on this? And it was kind of a to-do meets notes kind of thing. And I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's, not, gonna, it's not a world-changing idea, but it's, it's, it's kind of cool and maybe we could polish it up a bit and it should be a quick and easy thing to do. And so we just kind of started working on it together as a side project. And he started getting more contract work, so he couldn't work on it anymore. And so I was left with these designs that I had put together, nothing to do with them. Well, one day Brent comes to me and he's like, you know, I'm thinking about doing a side project, just something to, you know, get the creative juices flowing and, and kind of, you know, just another thing to try. I'm like, okay, yeah, if, if you want me involved, I'm happy to be involved. He's like, well, I was thinking maybe you and John. I'm like, well, of course I'm going to say yes to that. 
And so at Singleton last year in, in Montreal, he, he pulls the two of us aside and uh, we grab a drink. We sit down. It was a, hey, we should work on something. And we talked through, okay, that sounds great. What would we work on? And we go through a bunch of ideas. And I um, uh, al- almost got myself kicked out of the room by suggesting we do uh, an email client and call it letters.app. <laughs> I'll find something that explains that for people. Uh, I, and I, I said, well, I've, I've got this thing. It was John's idea. I'd been working on it with Justin, but there's no code. It's just my designs. And I, I showed the, the comps that I'd worked on. And we all looked at it. And the first reaction was, well, we don't really want to do like a to-do thing. And we had this other idea that we kind of thought might work. But the more we talked about it, the more we realized that our idea, which was a way of managing creative stuff. Like for Brent, it would be, you know, he, he loves to write and he, he writes code. And like his tracking his ideas for, for the things that, that he wants to, to write. Or you know, when he's away from a computer, he's keeping those, those ideas sorted out in his head. John wanted something similar for Daring Fireball, and I wanted something where I could manage um, like lyric ideas for when I'm working on music. Because right up until that point, I'd been using the Notes app, which didn't quite cover everything that I wanted out of it. And we, we realized pretty quickly that this thing that I'd been working on before, if we just massage it a little bit, it could become the thing that we wanted it to be. So we, we agreed that we should start down this path, and we, you know, we, we all shook hands, and we were all really excited. And I came to the table with the name because originally it was me and Justin and we were kind of making this thing more as a uh, kind, of a, kind of a quick and easy way to get some attention more than anything else. And we figured the best way to do that would be to pander to John a little bit. So like the color scheme was, was kind of keyed off of Daring Fireball and it had kind of a James Bond theme and the app was called Vesper. And so when, when I sat down and I, I'm like, well, I've got this thing and I, I already have a name for it. We don't have to keep it, but it's Vesper. Well, immediately John and Brent were like, that's it. That's the name. We have to keep that. And I think that's pretty much all of the original idea that we kept. But yeah, from that point forward, we, we started work on this thing. And uh, here we are roughly a year later. So the team, you know, is, is quite a powerhouse, the three of you. Um, oh. I'm, yeah, when, go, I'm going with it. All three of you. When we when we launched the app, there were all these articles written like the uh, the all star team, and I'm like, well, two and a half stars. Like I'm 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 not. Yeah, I mean, two and a half, and I think one and a half of those is probably John. <laughs> so, how do you find working with them? Like, was it intimidating to start, or did it did it fit well? And then, sort of going forward, at first, it was very intimidating because I knew I was way out of my league. I mean, these are guys with, with way more experience in the industry, and they've, they've had a lot of time to be thoughtful. But neither of them had really done design work directly for iOS. I mean, Brent had a little bit with Glassboard and, and NetNewsWire, but um, it was more functional design while he was writing code, not a uh, sit-down, do-product planning kind of thing. And I might be selling him short a little bit there, but my, my point being that like, just to, to the level that I would think of, of like intensity, I guess. Um, and John has done design work, but not in a number of years and not uh, ever, I don't think, for iOS stuff. So it, I had that going for me where sure. you know, I, I was in charge of the Photoshop document. So at least, I knew, at least I knew that I had that like that piece of it. I owned it and it was cool. Uh, but working with these guys, it, pretty quickly I realized, one, they've, they've, I've never felt like the kid in the room. Like it's, it's very much a, a deferential three-part relationship where nobody... Nobody is uh, asserting anything over anybody else. There's surprisingly, there's zero e- ego 
in the conversation when we sit down to do design stuff or, or to talk about product planning or, or anything. There's never, there's never a sense of anybody battling because they want to be right, which is impressive. And I think maybe the first time I've ever experienced that. But working, working with these guys, not, not only is it, um, do I get to feel good about the work that I'm doing, but it, it really is probably the best work I've ever done in my life. Just two of the smartest people you could want to work with and, and just long, thoughtful conversations about every detail because it is our own product. We're not, we're not on a timeline. We're not on a schedule. We don't have to make some client happy. We've got now our customers, but you know, from uh, November or December of last year until June when we shipped, there was nobody even knew. So we didn't, if, if at any moment we wanted to scrap an entire feature or change the entire thing, we could. And we, we took that liberty a couple of times where we would change things dramatically and then change them back. And having that freedom has been incredibly rewarding. But these, these guys, they're, they're both so open to that. And it's, it's really cool to, to have that kind of a functional working relationship. Probably the, the healthiest functional working relationship I've ever had. So when you, uh, when you launched Vespa... What did you, how did you find the initial reaction? Was it like what you expected or was it something else? Uh, I think it was Brent's idea, maybe a week or two before we shipped. He had said, let's sit down and make a list of every bad thing we can imagine people saying about the app and about us. Oh man, he's done this stuff before. What a great <laughs> idea. See, See, this is what I mean. I'm working with professionals. <laughs> it, so we, we sit down and we do exactly that. And we didn't do it like the three of us independently. We were on Glassboard and we were just firing back and forth, like making a long list of pretty mean stuff that other people might say about us. And there was kind of a magic in that where it didn't, even, even, having, even seeing Brent or John write what they imagined somebody might say about me or my work didn't hurt. It wasn't offensive. We were all laughing. We thought it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun to, to, to take the thunder out of what other people might say. And it really did. Um, we came up with way worse stuff than anybody else ever would. Yeah. And when we launched, uh, the little bit of negative reaction we got kind of just rolled off our backs. We had already thought through it. We already knew what people were going to say. So it didn't, it didn't bother us when they did. Like it was one of those awesome, like so, total surprise. You never knew this was coming type things. Which is that stuff's always fun. I think I just remember getting like a text message, which is like something like "Holy expletive, John Gruber's released an iOS app." <laughs> I think was was what I got, and, and you know, I guess that there's got to be a fun in that, in in working on this thing and keeping it in secret, and then you're able to just sort of let it go in the world. I hate I hate keeping secrets. I can That's imagine it's difficult time. to do. Well, especially when it's that kind of secret. Like people would ask me, "What are you working on?" I'd say, "Oh, you know, I'm just kind of uh, the the podcast is going well, and I'm just kind of seeing what I want to do." And I had to lie for six months. I had to lie to people, friends, close friends, when they would ask me what I was doing or what I was working on or how I was spending my time. I had to lie to people. I don't like doing that. Yeah. So you really kind of kept it secret from everyone. I I almost can't believe, especially when we opened it. We we didn't open up, but we 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 had to go through a beta period. And I mean, if you look at the app and the, 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 the credits, you can see everybody who has been on our beta. And they're, I, I can't say enough great things about our beta team. They're just amazing. But it was big enough that we almost, I want to say almost, we couldn't believe that when we launched, the secret had been kept. We thought for sure somebody was going to leak this. Yeah. We thought for sure somebody was going to open the mouth. And not even like a screw us over kind of way, but just... You know, drunk at a party, mention a thing, or somebody sees it over their shoulder. 
but no, it we it managed to be the big surprise that we wanted it to be. I actually am um, close friends of a couple of people on the list, and I didn't know. So you have a good team. Well, uh, props to them. Yeah. Now the the thing is, we've we've got that group of people, and we're working on stuff, and we have to ask ourselves the questions of, well, now that people know that Vesper is even a thing, would anybody? I start asking this list because here's a list of people you can ask. Here's a list of people you can <laughs> yeah, say, "Hey, what, you guys made it very clear." <laughs> <laughs> We're short of putting in their email addresses, um, but still, it, we don't feel like there's any need for too much because the biggest secret was, of course, that it was an app at all that we were even working on this. Yeah. And now the biggest secret would be that we're working on sync, which we decided to announce because it's really kind of a terrible secret. We went back and forth on this a lot. Should we pre-announce it? Should we not pre-announce it? And I don't know. To It, it came down to no, no thoughtful person doesn't think we're working on this. If anybody out there is worried that we're not, that's more of a hindrance to us than it is any kind of you know Apple-style Steve Jobsian mystery. We may as well just say, hey, this thing that literally everyone is asking us for, we're working on it. Calm down. Um, so it, it just made more sense to, to put it out there. And that's really the only, that's, that's our, our focus right now. So there's, we're, we're in a, a lucky position where there's not too many secrets to give away. So that's the next thing, right? Sync is the next thing for Vespa, or at least yeah. it's coming. Yeah. And it used to be when, when we shipped, we thought, well, yeah, we don't need Sync because it's just an iPhone app. There's no iPad app. There's no Mac app. There's no anything else. It's just an iPhone app. So we can ship without Sync and we can work on these other things you know, if we want to and then we'll figure out Sync as we go. And it turns out that, no, people really wanted Sync immediately. And it wasn't that we didn't think about it. It's not that we didn't want to do it. It's just that we, we didn't see a problem shipping without it, at least for a 1.0 because yeah, it's a 1.0. I, I, I use Vespa and... I've never needed sync. So I can see, personally, I can see how you would get to that point. We get people who have multiple iPhones or when you transfer, when you, when you, if you lose your phone, you go to the store, you get a new phone, you can restore from an iCloud backup and that'll have all of your notes up until the point of your last backup. But if you'd made a note 10 minutes before you lost your phone, sure. that kind of thing. And so it, it became clear to us over time that people wanted this for more than just sync. What they really wanted was cloud storage. That's, yeah, that makes more sense. And this, because we, we thought, well, we wouldn't launch Sync until we have another app of, of whatever flavor. Um, but we, we realized pretty quickly that people wanted Sync even without another app. So we're, we're going to focus on Sync first, which will, of course, you know, no, no promises, no announcements, but will enable us to, if we want to do more stuff, we can do more stuff. Because then we'd have a platform upon which to build. So you don't always just work on apps. You are also a musician. Mm-hmm. Have you always been interested in music? Like making I was, music? I was, um, I was 13 and I got my first guitar. And I think I was 12 when I first started listening to music seriously. Yeah. And seriously, I don't mean like professionally, but I, growing up, my mom would have the oldie station on in the car or would listen to country music. So my ideas of what music was was kind of built around that. Like listening to oldies like uh, the Hollies and, and maybe the occasional Beatles song if they wanted to pay the licensing for that kind of thing. And like old, old oldies, 50s and 60s. And so I didn't have a clear picture of what rock and roll was, like modern style rock. And then uh, 
12 or 13, a, a friend of mine introduced me to, <laughs> of all things, MTV. <laughs> and I saw uh, Aerosmith videos and Guns N' Roses and, and Nirvana. And Nirvana really stuck with me. It's like, here's this whole, like, I'm an awkward preteen going into my teens and I don't understand the world and I feel like the world doesn't understand me. And here's a guy with a guitar and greasy hair screaming about it. And I kind of get it. And I decided that I really wanted to, to learn how to do that. And so I, I got my first guitar when I was 13 and I started playing and I was terrible. Uh, but the good news is I've gotten a little better since then. How does writing and recording music differ from developing and designing for you? Uh, the biggest difference is that with music, I tend to do everything myself, not because I want to. I would much prefer to be in a band or to you know, have people that I collaborated with. And I have on a couple of occasions. I used to be in a band. For a lot of years, I was in a band. We put out a record. Um, but now everything that, that I record tends to be just me. Uh, a friend, Dave Hamilton from Mac Observer, has played drums for me a couple of times. But most of the stuff I put out, you know, every, every instrument, every sound you hear is all me. And that, that lack of collaboration, I look at what a good collaborative relationship has done for my approach to work and my output on Vesper. And I can, I can only then look at music and think, if I found the right people, how much better would I be doing here? So when and how did airplane mode become a thing? It had been a thing in my head for a long time. I kind of I had this idea that I should put out music just on a website. Like I should just put out songs. And if people like them, they like them. At least then it's not just me sitting at home playing songs for my dog. At least at least then it's uh I don't know, some kind of performance. There's some kind of I don't know. There's something beyond just myself. Because that's sort of the ego of being an artist, right? It's it's this whatever you're creating, you want you want people to see it. You want people to hear it. You want people to, to, to try to feel what you want them to feel. And it's all, it all kind of comes down to experience design. Like I, I want to write a song because I've always said that a, a good song fits your mood. A great song will change it. And I want to write a song that will make somebody happy. I want to write a song that will make somebody sad. I want to, to design an app that makes people feel um, like they're accomplishing things or that their, their, their creative energy is being well spent. I want people to have certain feelings based on, like, I, I just, I want to be able to make people have better experiences. And that seems like sort of a trite thing to say, but that's, um, that's kind of my approach. So with, with music, I, I thought, well, the, uh, this is just for me right now. And that's, that's not the part of this that I like. I kind of like the performance piece of it, the shipping. Shipping is a feature. And so I have, I got to do something. And so, uh, I spent some time and I had all these, uh, this handful of demos that I had made over the last couple of years. And I thought, well, if I don't have a band and I'm not out there putting, you know, uh, playing shows and putting out a, a record, I should be doing something with this. And maybe I can use that to put together a band and maybe I can, can build something out of this, but I'll just start from this weird place kind of inspired by, um, I, ben Folds did an iTunes Originals uh, years ago where he talked about when iTunes first became a thing, his first thought was he could write a song and have it out there for people to buy in 10 minutes. Like there's no, there's no longer a gap between making a thing and sharing that thing with other people. And I thought about Dave Grohl, the first Foo Fighters record. He did that entirely himself. Yeah, there's a couple of guest musicians on the, on the album, but it was, he played all the instruments. 
like he he wrote the songs and he he did everything. And I thought, well, these two ideas they kind of they're they're complementary. There's no reason I couldn't just do the things that I want to do and start putting it out there and and see what happens. It it it's so so much healthier for me to get over the idea that things have to be perfect. You don't have to have this indie rock band with all the integrity in the world and get signed to a small label and you know languish in obscurity for years and then finally achieve you know whatever level of commercial success. It's okay to just start putting out things. There's no there's no rules, I guess was the the, the thing that I, I really learned there that I, I had to attach to. So it became a thing because I didn't really have anywhere else to stick this stuff. Do you still perform your music live? Um, what was the last time I played something live? At uh, at the Ool conference last year, I played a, a show with Jim Dalrymple and a couple other guys, but it was all, it was like covers. It was yeah. the thing that Jim had put together. Um, I can't remember the last time I played my own stuff in front of people. It's been a little while. But one of the reasons I'm I'm in the process of moving to New York, one of the, the reasons I'm I'm going there is because it's a city where I know other musicians. So you'll get the opportunity to to do more of that. Right. So I've got a few connections and, you know, I, I hope I can get out and start playing some shows and, and, and see where that takes me. But I don't, I don't know when I was a kid, I had rock star dreams or whatever, but now it's more that I just like doing it. So I want to take a, a break for our second sponsor. And then we I should, want, I want to talk to you about unprofessional. So our second sponsor on this week's episode is the fine folks over at HostGator. Com. HostGator is a premier web hosting provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can help you get started with monthly hosting plans, one-click installs, and tons of other features that make getting your site up and running really easy. If you're a more advanced user or a business, HostGator can take care of you with resetter plans, VPS, and dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% uptime no matter your size or needs. And when you host with HostGator, you're going to get unlimited disk space and bandwidth too. If they guarantee 99.99%. 99.9. Four nines? Uh, three nines. Three, oh, 99.9, so mm-hmm. three nines. Like, that's better than nine threes. Yes, <laughs> that's a lot better than nine threes. That's a, well, well, it's still a lot of uptime. It's 99.9%. I think it's because, like, you just, it's, I, I, you probably, it's as close to 100 as you can get, right? You, you can't say 100, I guess. Well, you know, it was. Uh, I was working at eBay years ago, and the deal was the the service level goal was like five nines, so ninety nine point nine nine nine, which comes out to be something like sixteen minutes a year. You can be down, I think. Wow, it might be somebody. Somebody's going to hear that and go, "His math is wrong." Um, this is why I don't do math for a living. Uh, but yeah, it was something something ridiculous like that. But I, I, the way I'd always heard it was five nines. So three nine, you know, really after ninety nine point nine percent, do you even notice the difference? Probably not. I mean, what's it going to be? An extra minute? Is it is it even achievable? Is that a thing that that is even possible? It doesn't seem like it could be. I think I think that three nine sounds impossible. It does, but HostGator make it happen. Try doing anything for ninety nine point nine percent of the time. I barely stay alive for that amount of time. I I don't even breathe ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Definitely not. Probably only like. 60. I don't know. <laughs> if you're a WordPress user, you're going to love their one-click installs and optimized hosting platform. They have free site builder tools that are super easy to use, but if you find yourself needing any help, they have 24-7 support to ensure everything is running smoothly. So head on over to hostgator.com to learn more. And when you decide to purchase, don't forget to use the code CMD11 
it's going to get you 30% off. Thanks so much to HostGator for sponsoring the show. Are they, are they doing the thing where they're, they're pushing on the .NET domains? Uh, HostGator do do that, yeah. I mean, they're more about the hosting, really, than the, than the domain stuff. But they do. They, they hosted our show um, last week, this week, the one that we just recorded. So I guess it hasn't come out yet. Um, and the, there's a big thing about the, the .NET domains. You can cut all this, of course. <laughs> I don't no, no, no. Keep, keep going. I, I remember listening to the show. And I remember you saying about it. The, uh, the, the .NET domains from VeriSign. Uh, it was this big push for .NET domains because all the .coms are taken. Yeah, you, so, you, there's uh, no point. And, and I think these days people, like if you go to DaveWhiskers.com and it's not what you're looking for, I think you next go DaveWhiskers.net. For, I mean, I think that's just, just a standard thing that people do now. Like .NET is the next one after .com. So it's like, I, you know, it's, it, I like it. I think they're cool. I go all digital hipster with it. I do weird stuff. Yeah, like airplane mode is airplane mode.de, right? Yeah, so airplane emo.de as as people have pointed out. Airplane. <laughs> no, I did a I did a radio spot. I did a radio performance as airplane mode and I was trying to explain over the air. Yeah, you go to air Oh god, this is terrible. And I uh I got invited back. So the next time I went, I said I got a, I got a new domain so I could say it out loud better this time. airplane mode music.com. That'll be easier. Oh nice. Uh, but yeah, I like to do the the weird dot stuff. Like I've got instead of it wouldn't be DaveWiskus.com or net, it would just be dwisk.us, which currently goes to an old thing that I set up that really doesn't it's not really useful in any 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 way. Um But yeah, I do I do the weird stuff with I like doing I like playing with top levels. <laughs> if I didn't go for serious show titles, that would be it. I, lo- like- I love playing with top levels. I like playing with title, and it's it's. I think the, it it speaks to how seriously I I take domain names. If you know, if I if I had a thing um, that wasn't a, a company but a web presence that I I genuinely took seriously, I'd probably use a .dot net. Talking about By taking things, talking about taking things seriously. <laughs> you and uh, Lex Friedman, you have a show that you do uh, on Mule called Unprofessional. Yeah. Why Lex Friedman and why Unprofessional? I ask myself why Lex Friedman every every week. I set you up why? for that. <laughs> why? Because I'm sure that he would answer the question in the same way. The truth is, uh, I love Lex. It's it's funny. We we compare ourselves in terms of relationship, not stature or anything else. Just our relationship. It's like a very pen and teller kind of relationship. If we spend too much time together in the same room, we don't get along very well, or we'll get on each other's nerves. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if we lived in the same city and, and hung out together, I don't think that we could be friends. That reminds me, always reminds me of um, Mythbusters guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamie and Adam. I think the same same kind of thing where uh, maybe maybe me and Lex have a little better relationship than that. We're more friendly than that. We can hang out together. We like being around each other just kind of in small doses because after a while, you know, you just I, – I, I talk to the guy – I was going to say professionally, but I know everybody's going to laugh at that. But you know, there's I've got this show that I do with the guy, and so I I like it when I get to look forward to every week we sit down and talk for an hour because that's kind of how our relationship works best. Yeah. And sometimes we'll we'll travel together and we'll get to spend a few days together. But after a few days, like by the end of it, not that we hate each other, but it, it just becomes clear that this wouldn't work if the, if we were here for another week. That kind of. I don't want to. I don't want to paint a picture that we hate each other or anything like that. It, we we really do like each other. It's just that it's it's very much a a professional relationship. It's uh, we make this thing together. We're partners, 
And uh, that's, that's kind of how we frame everything as, as, a, as a, a duo. I imagine the headlines now. <laughs> Whiskus hates Friedman. If here's, only, here's if only ten, we had a tech slide. press that was into that kind of thing. <laughs> here's 10 slides about it. Why is it? Why, I'm going to go on a rant here for a second. Why is it that, that our tech press doesn't do the Hollywood-style scandal thing? I really wish. and I, I knew a guy who was trying to make a website like this once, but he didn't stick to it. Like a real gossip magazine. Like a, mm-hmm. not, not Valley Wag where it's just like, let's find 20 ways we can just try and make people cry. But like, you know, (laughs) somebody finds a tweet which is referencing somebody else. And like when when people have like arguments on Twitter and stuff that I saw one recently uh, about an iPad mini review. Uh, you may have seen. You <laughs> may have seen. Stuff to fight about. <laughs> you may have seen those, and and just like you know, because I th- they're they are the I have those sort of conversations with my nerd buddies. Oh, did you see that thing that such and such person said to such and such person? Because as well, like there is an element of celebrity in in our very peculiar corner of the internet, and I think it would be interesting to see. It'd be kind of fun. I don't know. It's it's the weirdest kind of celebrity. Yeah. Like I'll tell people that I've got a podcast and I'll talk about the guests that we've had and I'll get the question like jokingly, but like, oh, are you like an internet, are you internet famous? And the answer is no. Um, I wouldn't even go so far as to say internet famous, but there's like this tiny corner of a tiny corner of a tiny corner of the world in which a few people know who I am. Yeah. That's not fame. It's not the same thing as fame. It's not even really notoriety. It's just kind of its own thing and there's not a good word for it. But you'd think that that would be enough of an attractor you look at guys like, I'm just, I'm going to pick on Craig for a second. Craig Hockenberry. Surely, of all the things he says, there would be a gossip magazine that would say, Did you see what, like, click here to see what Craig Hockenberry said this week? You know, that kind of thing. Surely, surely we have enough people who care about this industry to, to, to go that far. But we don't. We don't. It never happens. I'm, I'm desperate. You, you hear people behind closed doors or when drinking, like, Oh, yeah, so and so is kind of an a hole. But nobody goes on record. And I kind of wish we did because it would keep us more honest. Everybody's too nice. That's such a weird thing to complain about. We're all too nice. But if we were maybe a little less nice, then maybe, uh, maybe, maybe there's some good feedback for us in that. Maybe we've I, just found our next business idea. I always find out way too late that somebody thought I was being a jerk. <laughs> and if you just tell me right in the moment, like, you're kind of being a jerk, I can't guarantee how I'll respond, but I can guarantee I'll think about it. <laughs> I might like, punch you in the face. I may apologize. <laughs> I'm not gonna put, I'm, I might resist, I might disagree, but I'm going to give it some thought. And if it turns out, you know what, I was kind of being a jerk there. That kind of gives, at least you've given me an opportunity to do something about it. Because if I hear that I'm being a jerk, I'm like, you know what, you're right, I am being a jerk. I'm going to stop being a jerk. I've got, I've got a chance. If you tell me six months later, then I've already been a jerk and I'm kind of upset that you let me. It's your fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't help is all I'm saying. Not you. Or yeah, you. If I'm yeah, being me. a jerk now, you're not saying anything. No, I'm, you're, I'm, I'm, you're being good. Um, okay. So... Lex Friedman was previously involved with Macworld and that kind of meant that you guys couldn't talk about technology because, <laughs> you know, I'm sure Jason Snell uh, tied his hands together in an <laughs> ironclad contract. Um, well, so- not at first. We were told that we could do this. Jason said, yeah, go do a podcast. Have fun. And so we, we recorded, I think, 10 or 11 episodes and uh, we we're waiting on Mule to get their back end stuff set up for us. And Mule did, and we're like all set and ready to launch. And we we go to to Jason, 
and well, we Lex goes to Jason just for like, hey, the show's about to launch. Just want final confirmation. This is totally cool. And Jason's comment after being told what the show was about. And the original premise of the show was going to be me and Lex talking about the things that we don't like about the things that we like. Okay. So, so instead of just like being critical and tearing stuff down, it was like, we love, um, let, let's just pick the easy one. We love the iPhone, but here are the things that we would change. We love this movie, but here are the things we change. We love this TV show, but here are the things we would change. Which we thought would, would be an, an evergreen area of discussion and it would all be good. And, and Jason knew this and he knew that we'd be talking about apps and stuff like that. And I, maybe, I don't know if, he, if Lex just didn't say something right or whatever, but when it, when it came time to, yeah, we're doing this thing, Jason's like, oh, yeah, no problem. Go ahead, launch the show. It's totally cool, just as long as you don't talk about technology. And we're like, oh. <laughs> really? We, got like, we have more than 10 shows in the can right now. Like, they're ready to go. We were going to take the next several weeks off. But uh, we, we wound up going back to Mule and saying, we, we can't do this. It's not going to work, um, and we don't have like we didn't have a backup plan. So, I guess we're just not going to do a show. We're we're really sorry. Thank you for your time. And it, the question immediately was, well, if you guys have another idea, if you come up with something that's you think is just as good, let us know. Like, well, we don't want to just do a show for the sake of doing a show, but if we have an idea that we genuinely think is as good or better, we'll come back. I think it was later that day. I was just kind of thinking through it, and the idea popped in my head. Like, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be cool to, to do a show that was just like three people at a bar? Like maybe me and Lex and a guest and we'd sit down and hear all these like war stories, but not, not the industry and not the technology, but the people part of it. And the inspiration, of course, is Brent Simmons because if, if, if you ever go drinking with Brent Simmons, that guy's got all these incredible stories about the time that he spent you know, around this community and helping to build this community and his, his experience in life. And he's just got a, a ton of amazing stories. He's a great guy to hang out with and just listen. And I thought, well, that could be a show. And what if we did that with, with, with all of the people in this industry that were, uh, that had this kind of experience or had these interesting things to say. And so we, I talked to Lex about it and we both got really excited about the idea. We went to Mule and they're like, this is actually better. We like this idea better. So do I actually. I think everybody involved, everyone along the chain thought this is a genuinely better idea than what you guys started out with. And, and J- Jason rightfully, I think, takes credit for that. I think you would have run out of stuff faster than you think you would have run out of stuff. Uh, you know, maybe I think the bigger thing is that we would have run out of steam. Right. It's hard to, to care because with something so critical, and it, I was going to say hypercritical, which is really what it comes down to. It comes down to at a certain point, you're just John Syracuse. There's only one man who can keep it up. Wait. Right. Yeah. And it would take the two of us to match his level of intensity, and I just don't think that we could. Be. There's already one John C. Curie, so we don't need more. So you mentioned um, earlier about the guests that you have, and you've had some crazy guests, like mm-hmm. real-world celebrities. And real-world crazy. Yeah, I mean, just Ventura. <laughs> Whoa. I had yeah. Lex Friedman on this show a while ago, and I'll put the episode in the show <laughs> notes. And we spoke about the Jesse Ventura thing. Um, how do you manage those kind of people? I mean, d- software developers and designers and bloggers—they're easy to. Well, they're not easy to book, but once you've booked them, they're like reliable, and you don't need to go through a publicist. Like, how do you go about booking somebody like Jesse Ventura? 
You know, people like, I'm not going to say Jesse Ventura, but people, let's call them celebrities. I'm going to say, let's call them celebrities. It's not like we've ever had Brad Pitt on the show, or I didn't think we ever would. If, I mean, even if we could, I don't think we would. He's, Brad he's too Pitt, exposed. You, you already know his stories. If Brad emailed you and said, I want, please, Dave, I want to be on the show, you, you wouldn't take that offer. We would, we would take that for the ratings bump. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but exactly. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think it would be our best show. That's not the kind of person we'd ever go after. But uh, the, the air quote celebrities are actually easier to manage because their publicists just give them a schedule of you know 12 o'clock you're doing this, 1 o'clock you're doing this, 3 o'clock you're doing this. And so their life is kind of just showing up for stuff and not thinking too hard about it. So when it comes time for, um, I don't want to name anybody because that's unfair, but when it comes time for uh, such and such famous-ish person to show up, they just, they're on Skype and they're ready to go. I don't think we've, we, we had one guy rescheduled a couple times because genuine conflicts came up, but it was rescheduled well in advance. I don't think other than that, we've, nobody's ever even so much just kind of flaked on us with the, with the famous-ish people. Whereas, not that indie software people are more flaky, but there's more because they're friendly and you know them and maybe yeah. they're 10 minutes late to the Skype call or you know, that kind of thing just because you know, we're all friends. You can be a little bit more relaxed about this sort of stuff with friends. What, do you have a preference for guests? Like, Do you prefer more sort of mainstream people to, I don't know, like somebody like John Maltz? I'm just picking him, picking on him. Um, uh, we, it's a terrible name to pick because we love Maltz. Yeah. Well, like I can, he gives good podcast. Yeah, he's very, he is very cool. He's a nice guy. He's, always, he's, like, he's just always like on and dialed in. Not on in a phony way, but like he's just, that's his personality and it always works. Um, but we, we like to have a good mix. Our, our goal is, if we could, we would do it one episode with somebody from you know, our world and one, the next episode would be somebody more mainstream and then the third episode just kind of go, just alternate back and forth. And it does oscillate a little bit where we'll go on a run of three or four celebrity type people and then three or four people who are you know, just friends of ours that we, we bring in for the show. And we, we should, I, I should uh, clarify that it used to be that we would just ask. And the way that it started was we had joked early on, like in the first couple of episodes, that it would be great if we could get Jonathan Colton on the show someday. And so kind of as a Hail Mary maybe, I just emailed him. Yeah, surprising just, you know, how easy that is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I just sent an email to Jonathan Colton saying, hey, uh, we do this podcast and this is what it's about and we think that you'd be a great guest. And then his, uh, his assistant wrote back and said, I talked to John, he'd love to do it. I'm like, wow, I just didn't read his own email. That's crazy. This assistant uh, Scarface. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Scarface. Yep. Literally Scarface. That was the, yep. he, he goes by Scarface. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, I've, I've had that email. <laughs> <laughs> and he's an awesome guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, John comes on the show. He, he says, sure, I'll do it. And he comes on the show and he was great. And then from there, we, we kind of went back to doing what we do. And somewhere along the way, it was, we got into these conversations about who are our dream guests. And we had this long list of our dream guests. And it wasn't people, it wasn't like famous people. It was people like John Flansburg from They Might Be Giants, who that was like Lex's better than God. Like that would be the, oh my God, if we get Flansburg on the show. I think the only person he'd be more excited about is Weird Al, because Lex is that guy. Yeah. And so I, I think he emailed the 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 email address that was on the they might be giants website and said hey blah 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 and we've we've had jonathan colton on the show and i know you're friends and so it was kind of colton said yes and then we leveraged colton into getting flansburg and then flansburg got us a couple of other people and it, it's hit a point now where 
we can like name drop a few people that that person knows. Like we just had uh, John Hodgman on the show. <laughs> you do exactly what I do. <laughs> and, and somehow we get into a conversation with Hodgman about like we know a lot of the same people. And it turns out there's like five or six guests that we've had on the show that Hodgman is friendly with or is friends with, yeah. including some unexpected people. And then after the show, it turns out we've learned that there's even more people that he already knows. And it was just this crazy connected thing. So it, uh, it, it just, you start with one person, you kind of build it up from there and you get more over time. We do have though, um, now, uh, who, what we call a talent coordinator, uh, Gemma, she, she does, her job is to just reach out to publicists. She looks at our list of dream guests and she, she contacts publicists. That's pretty awesome. I need yeah. to get me a Gemma. Yeah. And the, it, you know, it's, it's kind of hit or miss, but what ends up happening is even if a publicist says no, they might come back with, but here are a couple of people who, who are looking for, for stuff to do and might be good on the show. Oh. And so we've had, we've had a few people on the show that's like, they're not famous or anything, but they do interesting things and they're interesting people. And so, yeah, come on, talk about, we'll talk about your project for a couple minutes and we'll just, you know, BS for a little while. And they always love it. So for anybody that hasn't listened to Unprofessional, do you have an episode or a couple of episodes where you suggest that they start, like a good starting point for the show? Anything with Amy Jane Gruber or Cable Sasser is a really good place to start. Oh, Cable's episode is easily one of my favorites. The Cable people, of, of all of the you know, celebrity type people we've had on the show, the fact that people still dial into Cable as, as one of their favorite, if not their favorite episode, to me just speaks to what an incredibly likable, fun guy Cable is. And I don't know if you've ever been around him in person, but he is just as awesome. Like he's got, there's, there's two kinds of, of people who get attention. They're the people like socially and they're the people who will get attention by like soaking up the attention and, and pointing out how awesome they are. And there's people like Cable who he gets the attention by making everyone around him feel awesome. And there's something, there's just, it's infectious and you can't not love being near him. That is a very accurate, very, very accurate description. I aspire to be Cable. So Mr. Whiskers. Yes. Or, or Cable. Cable Whiskers. Where, <laughs> where can people go to find you on the internet? Oh, man. Everywhere. Um, so let's start. Uh, let's do this in alphabetical order. There's uh, my blog, betterelevation.com, which um, is where I write stuff sometimes. Oh, and I said alphabetical, so I have to think. Oh, no, it's airplane mode. Tina starts with an A. <laughs> so close. <laughs> Ah, so okay, we'll start over. Airplane mode, airplanemodemusic.com because that's easier than airplanemode.de. Uh, betterelevation.com, my blog. Um, T-U-V. So you, uh, unprofesh.com or muleradio.com, muleradio.net. Oh, God, I'm getting that wrong. Muleradio.net. Powered by Verisign. Muleradio.net slash unprofessional or unprofesh.com and Vesper is at vesperapp.co did I get all of them? I feel like I'm missing something Twitter? oh Twitter uh, at dwiskus d-w-i-s-k-u-s awesome I need to do one of those things where I have like one thing that you can go to and see all this stuff because that's yeah. I feel like that's a lot I feel like I'm, I'm asking people to pay attention to too many things maybe that's what you need to use dwisk.us for maybe it's kind of what I'm using it for but I was more of like a yeah, at the time, I thought maybe I'd be doing more contract work and I was going to use that as like a portfolio thing and I never went down that path. So yeah, I should repurpose it for that. 
perfect. So you where can, can f- where can we find out more about you? Oh well, just Twitter really. I'm I Mike I M Y K E, and of course I do this podcast. But you already know that. So uh, everybody. I don't know. You say that, but what if it's like somebody is listening to this show in their friend's car? They know it by now. I you think, think so? Well, they've listened. That's all. All I want is that one listen. That's all I care about. You don't. You don't want return visits. I mean, what if they they're in their friend's car and like this is a really good podcast? I wonder where I would go to find out more about it. And they're too maybe too ashamed to ask their friend in the car who's driving. Go to five by five tv slash cmdspace, and if you put slash seventy <laughs> at the end, that's where you will find the show notes for this episode, which include links to all of Dave's amazing stuff. And some of the other things we've spoken about, like letters.app, I found some blog posts, <laughs> and they're there. Um, I'm going to hear about that later. So you can do that too. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. But the the thanks, the most thanks, go to Mr. Dave Whiskers for joining me oh. today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Oh, no problem. I enjoyed it. And uh, <laughs> I'll be back next week. Thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>